Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Well, we're at peak fall, so I hope everyone is enjoying this glorious, tiny window of amazing weather. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, I'm here with co-host Sarah Lohman and Nevada independent reporter Jacob Solis. And we're talking about some major investigations hitting the news this week. First, the Nevada Attorney General investigation into fake electors, and then the results of a federal investigation into that horrific crash in North Las Vegas that claimed nine lives. And of course, to lighten things up just a little, we'll talk about seven decades of Vegas weddings. It's Friday, November 17th. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Jacob Solis and Sarah Lohman, welcome to CityCast Las Vegas. Hello, David. How you doing, David? Doing great. And hey, if you're a new listener, welcome to you too. A bunch of you have been popping in and we wanted to give you the proper uh, salutation. I want to say we're following some major headlines this week, including the arrest of eight teens in connection with the death of Rancho High School student Jonathan Lewis and the news about Major League Baseball's approval of the A's moving to Las Vegas. We'll be talking about those topics on the pod soon. But today, let's start with Nevada Attorney General Aaron Ford and the launch of a new investigation. Jacob, what are the developments there? That's right. So just for anyone who is not aware of everything that's happened here so far, right? So there was a scheme from the Trump campaign to use fake electors to try and rig the 2020 election in his favor through the Electoral College. Uh, You may remember this as leading to January 6th. Yes, there was so, a whole election yeah, thing, all that. Yeah, it yeah. was a whole thing, right? And so that includes six Nevada Republicans who filed a slate of false electors. Now, in other states, there has been intense scrutiny of these fake elector schemes in criminal probes. Earlier this summer, Michigan filed charges against its fake electors. Fake electors have been key to the racketeering case in Georgia, and Arizona's attorney general has said they're investigating the fake electors there. In Nevada, it's been a little trickier. Last year, and even after 2020, Democratic Attorney General Aaron Ford basically said, look, we've combed the Nevada revised statutes, but there simply isn't a law on the books that would let us pursue these fake electors the way we would want to. So in 2023, during the legislative session, Democrats backed a bill that would make fake electors explicitly illegal and create really expansive criminal penalties for doing a fake elector scheme. This bill was vetoed by uh, Governor 
Joe Lombardo, a Republican, because it was too expansive. In fact, the penalties were so severe that he said it was too much. Uh, and frankly, okay. that was that was an assessment that several public defenders who testified against the bill agreed with. We can get into that in a second. And so David will. Yeah. <laughs> David will 100 percent. And I guess what? I don't have an opinion about everything. Oh, yeah. Wait, I, I do. Oh, yeah. I do. Sorry, oh, yeah. I forgot who I was. And just, I guess, to close the saga at the time, Attorney General Ford basically said, like, look, I'm not going to bring charges right this second because there's nothing on the books and there's not much for me to do. And then later that later this year, rather, he said, I never said I was never going to bring charges. And now just Mm. this week, we hear that secretly his office has been probing several election officials to get at maybe what they could do. Will he eventually bring charges? That's a question that hasn't been answered. We're only at the investigative stage. I just have maybe not a quick question, but like, Help people, and by people I mean me, like what exactly is a fake elector? What does that mean? Right. So, okay. So, right. When you vote for president, you're not actually uh, voting for president. You're voting to send a slate of uh, electors to the electoral college from your state. So in Nevada, we have six electors, right? And so uh, when Joe Biden wins the presidency in Nevada in 2020, there are six formal electors sent by the state who go vote in the electoral college for Joe Biden. That's the real vote that matters. That's the, the map that pops up and it's the sixes on Nevada. And yeah, okay. Exactly. So what the Republicans tried to do is say, here is an alternate slate of electors for the state that are going to vote for Donald Trump in the Electoral College. Uh, And they are not the official one. But that scheme, had it been successful, it wasn't, obviously, would have used the Electoral College to flip Nevada's vote from Biden to Trump. Just some random people that the Nevada Republican Party was like, yeah, these guys. Well, these are central figures in the Nevada Republican Party. Uh, party chair Michael McDonald was one of the fake electors. Uh, party uh, another higher up in the state party, Jim DeGraffenreid, was one of the fake electors. So these are these are sort of hardcore Jesse party. Law. Yeah, They're, yeah, people whose names are very chair. prominent. In, yeah, in hardcore GOP party circles. activists. Yeah, mm. right. And and I want to give credit that uh, Politico was the one who broke this story, and we're all kind of uh, following mm-hmm. that lead right now. I, I I guess the first question is with all the trials that we're seeing uh, related to Donald Trump, d- does this implicate potentially Donald Trump in Nevada as well? I think that's a good question, and we're going to have to see. I think the main thing to watch is does Ford pursue some kind of Georgia esque racketeering case? And I'm not so sure. The I mean, it's possible, right? I think we've seen federal investigators, right, say maybe the Jack Smith probe circle in on Nevada and folks like Party Chair Michael McDonald, who were heavily involved in the effort after 2020 uh, to to flip the election in favor of Trump. Now. How much does that apply to Nevada law? I think that's what Ford's office is still trying to figure out. And frankly, you know, that we're at the investigative stage now, whereas, say, in Georgia, I mean, we're months into a racketeering trial. I think it's it's hard to say what it could happen here. Sarah, what do you think the implications would be if somehow Trump is named in yet another indictment in our state? How do you mm. think that will play here? I don't know. Apparently nothing. Like, I'm just I am exhausted you guys i can't believe another election is happening and i just feel like so detached sometimes because i don't understand you know trump they're saying is leading in all the polls and like i don't understand our our bent towards dictatorship in terms of uh, you know overthrowing a fair system of election should be a huge red flag for both sides of the issue. And so I just don't understand now if it's a lack of education or a lack of of feeling heard or or what it is, but I don't understand literally anything. 
<laughs> well, I mean, it maybe has awoken the the sleeping beast of the electorate to get more engaged about things. But, you know, Jacob, you mentioned that Governor Lombardo vetoed a bill that would have at least clarified it for the future, uh, saying it was too strict, which is very weird. And you also mentioned that public defenders agreed with them. And I, I guess for sake of consistency, any new laws that are very harsh are bad, but <laughs> is it was Lombardo being particularly, oh, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, sincere and earnest when when he made a comment like that, it was too strict? Yeah, well, just to contextualize what these penalties actually were, you could get four to 10 years in prison for being a fake elector in Nevada under this law. And so in his veto message, Lombardo compared the penalties right to being worse than high level fentanyl tracker or traffickers, certain domestic violence perpetrators and, quote unquote, some of the most extreme and violent actors on January 6th. So that's actually not true. Yeah. High level fentanyl gets 10 to life. So whatever, governor, sheriff. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Ex- well, but like, I think the, the, this, and I remember this hearing happening because I was at the legislature and a uh, public defender, John Pirro goes up and says, you Senator could stab that Senator and get less time than a, uh, uh, in, in the heat of the moment and get less time than, than a fake elector. I think under the original oh, incarnation of this bill. Yeah. So that's true. I'll, I'll take Pirro <laughs> on that one. <laughs> hey, Sarah, do you think that, uh, like this, electoral system that has been so criticized recently is just so fragile that this is just another nail in the coffin that we need to stop doing this kind of way of electing our president? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if fragile is the right word, but like, you know, certainly there's been a lot of reconsideration of the system that's been in place for going on 250 years now. And I think that is, I am a believer that like the founding fathers didn't have everything right. And that as our society grows and changes, we too can grow and change our government. So, you know, the idea is that we're not a true democracy. We're what a representative republic. Is that the the correct term? And that we I've heard that commercial on AM radio where they're (laughs) teaching the young kids. So I'll go with that. I didn't know that. All right. You know, so basically we're electing representatives, but also, um, you know, the Electoral College was a system put into place as a stopgap in case the majority rules went crazy and was stamping on the rights of the minority, which is something we also don't want to do, obviously. And also it's a time thing because, you know, in the days before reliable transportation or internet, it was easier to report the votes in your own state and then have the electors vote for you than to count all of the hundreds of thousands and then millions of votes in America, right? So so, um, but now it is a new era. We can more accurately report voting. We can do it nearly instantly. Um, so maybe it is time for a one person, one vote system because, you know, it is giving um, power to, I mean, not as much as like the Senate, but more power to states with lower populations. It is the 21st century. We are about to come up on our 250th anniversary as a nation. We don't have to keep doing things the same way for 250 years. Maybe it is time to get rid of the Electoral College and just let my vote count one and everybody's vote count one. And that's how an election works. And what I think is so interesting about Nevada in this conversation in particular is I think the resistance we've seen from top party leaders on both sides from getting rid of the Electoral College, because the Electoral College means that Nevada can matter in a presidential election in a way it wouldn't mm-hmm. if it was just the popular vote. Because we have six electoral votes and we're a swing state, they have to come here. They can't ignore us. And so we've seen, I think yeah. there the, there have been some legislators who have pushed for entrance into the national popular vote compact. And we've seen a push to put that on the ballot in Nevada so that voters can decide, not politicians, because if it were up to the politicians, we that. never would. 
um, because we've already seen that resistance. Yeah. I mean, we only have three plus million people here. That ranks us, I think, somewhere like 33rd or 34th in the country. That's less less clout. At the same time, like swing states won't matter if every state is voting. It's it's individual populist voting, not electoral college. You know, there are no swing states anymore if it's just if we are individual people sort of unconnected from our state body. But I do also appreciate, you know, the idea of putting it on the ballot and letting people vote. As I mentioned, I think almost every episode I am from Ohio and we just saw abortion go on the ballot there. Ohio is a state that had a six week abortion ban. It was the first state to have such a horrific ban um, after Roe v. Wade fell. And that was voted down in Ohio. And now it is, I believe, the first state that has abortion protected in its constitutional rights. Nevada has protections as well. But I love the irony of that. So on these hot button issues where we're being misrepresented in government, taking it back to the voters has had really positive results. So I would be curious to see what voters think about the Electoral College here in Nevada. And we might. There could be a ballot measure in the next few years about this. I guess we'll just have to see if the big lie that got this whole scheme started in the first place turns into the big trial. Hmm. (laughs) Hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas's most talked about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, EDO, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. Tickets are $150 and are all-inclusive of food and drink, so you don't have to pay for anything once you're inside. No hidden up charges. I went last year, and it was so crowded in the best possible way. We got one remarkable dish after another, and while it was a little indulgent, here's the best part. The net proceeds go to local charities. So head on over to VegasUnstripped.com to get your tickets now. We'll see you there. All right, next issue. A federal agency has released some strongly worded findings in the wake of a deadly North Las Vegas crash that killed nine people last year. The Review Journal's been doing lots of reporting on this. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sarah, w- what did this uh, this board come out with with their findings? Yeah, I mean, what we're seeing is, you know, there was a truly horrific car accident last year in Las Vegas, and it is having ripple effects, uh, both locally, but also nationally, too. We're talking about it leading to national reforms as well. Um, So in January 2020, a man named Gary Dean Robinson, he was on both cocaine and PCP, and he was driving over 100 miles an hour. And he blew through a red light and crashed into a minivan. Uh, Four other cars were, three other cars were also uh, involved in the crash, but all seven passengers in the minivan died, and as well as Gary Dean Robinson and his passenger. So this is horrific. So the big tragedy here, it was a preventable tragedy in that Robinson had at least seven previous speeding violations, but the Nevada court system had these reduced from citations to parking violations. So only one of these previous violations was on his record. 
Federal research has shown that drivers frequently cited for speeding are at a higher risk of causing fatal crashes. So first of all, we've got this this exposure of a broken court system where drivers that need to be penalized are not being penalized. And then the result is the death of innocent people. And now as a result of um, the investigation, the conclusion of the investigation to this accident, we're seeing new recommendations from the National Transportation Safety Board. And they want car manufacturers to install what are called intelligent speed assistance technology into new cars. And these... um, these new applications can range from haptic or audio warnings if you're going over the speed limit to at the next level making it difficult to difficult but not impossible to uh, raise your speed over the speed limit and then in the most like limited cases actually stopping a driver's ability to accelerate over the speed limit period period so these are recommendations they're not laws but certainly there is a lot of conversation happening around the conclusions from this research hmm. so what parts of the report do you all find compelling and what questions are still left lingering for you well i think the most compelling parts of the report are the sort of like legal failings right that we have this mm-hmm. system designed to to catch things but these elements are not communicating with each other, right? The, the courts had no idea that he had so many citations because they become downgraded or marked in certain ways. And the, the police are not recording the actual speeds he's getting ticketed at. They're reducing the tickets at the point of contact, right? Like, I think there's so many points at which the system should have seen, oh, this guy needs to say more demerits on his license. We need to actually look at whether or not he's fit to drive, right? If we're going to license drivers, we need to acknowledge that some people should or should not have licenses under certain circumstances. Uh, But we also need to be wary that like the system can be bad and not recognize certain of its own failings, right? The part of the report that fails me, I think, is the sort of like, let's put a cap on like the car itself will stop speeding. And it's like, I, I don't know about that, chief. Oh, yeah. You don't like the nanny state. When it might save lives. I get it. I get it. <laughs> wow. well, I think you, we... you don't want extra devices that are in a vehicle that uh, limit your ability to drive recklessly. I get that, too. You know, you're you're an autonomous person and you want to have the choice to drive over a posted speed limit if you want. That's, I get it. That's right. You've got you've got me nailed. And, and those seatbelts, too. They're the worst. And ugh, why should we have breath interlock devices that require you to blow in it so that you prove that you're sober before you drive the car? It only would save lives, but that's I mean, such a nanny I think thing. Jacob is, you know, he's expressing the exact argument that's going to be out there, right? Like, I have freedoms to do blah, blah, blah. If my car goes to 100, why can't I go to 100? But of course, we also have laws in place to protect the safety of innocence, right? So it is this big question of-, of But Jacob monet- is an F1 fan, <laughs> man. Yeah. You can't, he's got right. that need. Uh, Wait yeah, for it. To- that need for speed. Yeah, you that got need me. for speed. I mean, I'm sorry that David's giving you such a hard time, Jacob. He's uh, a am very- I? Oh, I haven't given anyone a hard time yet. Wait for it, Sarah. It's coming. <laughs> I mean, but I've thought I've had a lot of thoughts about this too, because yeah, it does feel like at first you have this like Ugh, restriction. Like basically it's gonna use GPS technology to monitor your speed versus the posted speed limits. Um, but like I also don't want to die in a hard high-speed accident that's not my fault, right? Um, I do have a lot of questions though within this report. And, you know, my concern is less with what's gonna happen because at this point it's a recommendation, and I, especially with something that concerns our personal freedoms. It's going to take a long time to get there. But I still have so many questions about what is happening here in Clark County. There weren't real answers in what I read about why these violations are being downgraded. So there is there like a deeper 
sickness happening here that's putting people into danger. Well, I just want to suggest that instead of the cars themselves monitoring the speed or capping themselves at certain speed limits, I think uh, uh, making um, these insurance programs that monitor your speed opt out Mm. instead of opt in, because I think right now they're not being used enough, right? I think if there's that monetary penalty from an insurance standpoint of if you are speeding all the time, you you should be a more uh, or, or a higher cost driver to insure. Then I think that that's a way to influence personal behavior um, in a way that I think one is more effective than just putting this in new cars, right? Because how many people are buying new cars relative to cars that are you know five, ten, fifteen, twenty years old that are on the roads that are not going to have these systems? This is not like seatbelts, and so like I think that there are ways if we really want to get serious about uh, reducing speeding from from a systemic standpoint. I think there are better ways to do it than putting uh, you know something in the car. And I think that other some of the other things the report mentioned, stuff like haptics, right? I think my car right now, uh, you know, it it shakes my wheel if I'm drifting uh, outside of a lane, right? And I think stuff like that, um, you know, making sure that drivers are alert. It's like, oh, if you're going five over, if you're going ten over, it can ping you, right? Because if you're using Google Maps, it knows what the speed limit in a certain road is. I mean, but like, let's just start with punishing repeat violators, right? Like. Number one, which is which is not happening. The system is horribly broken, at least here in Las Vegas. I'm curious, you know, if there's issues like this in other cities, but we got to start right here because it, it, you know, the people that I do see driving quick, fast on the streets are like the custom painted Teslas. So these are new cars, but like, let's make sure that drivers are being appropriately punished for doing something dangerous. And that's where I'm going to take it. So I, I'm going to surprise a lot of people and say, I don't disagree with a lot, but then I'm going to caveat, if indeed the world were in a vacuum, yes, it makes sense. If someone is getting repeat citations for conduct, uh, that that there should be some accountability for that. 100% agree with that. However, there is a huge logical fallacy that's involved in this, a suggestion that but for all these tickets, the man who was driving 100 miles an hour on cocaine and PCP wouldn't have killed those people. That's a logical fallacy there. I mean, if you follow that logic, 200,000 people had their tickets reduced. So why aren't there uh, 200,000 plus deaths by speeding PCP cocaine addicts in Las Vegas? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. But Sarah, the but bigger point here- But someone is repeatedly breaking the law here. Based on the information that's out there, we don't also know if there were also other violations from the other $200,000 tickets, right? Like this has brought attention to this case because it is a particularly horrific accident that does seem like it was preventable considering this person had, again, at least seven violations that were not known about. Again, preventable. There's no way to say that because none of the prior offenses involved cocaine. Look, I don't disagree. The municipality shouldn't be siloed. All that information should be shared across courts, and it doesn't happen, and that needs to be fixed. But to simply suggest that the broken carceral system of punishing people uh, for criminal offenses for traffic stuff and not allowing the system to essentially uh, have built-in corrections so that poor people and people of color who are much more burdened with traffic stops, with traffic citations than Absolutely. people who aren't. So this was the correction. And so what happened in Nevada is not the only- The correction was decriminalization. This... The correction wasn't taking speeding violations and turning them into parking violations. Ultimately, but but the gap, the gap correction was to not be so 
arduous in the punishment. Again, punishment doesn't necessarily relate to there being better conduct in the road. But here's the main point I want to make outside of that. This report, while interesting, and of course, people are so very, very quick to go to punishment as a solution, carceral solutions. If this guy was in prison, he wouldn't have killed anybody. But why don't they talk about the width of our roads, how you could go easily 100 miles per hour on that road in Las Vegas, not discussed at all by the uh, National Transportation Safety Board. I don't think that better public transportation would have solved this problem for this guy who but wanted you understand, to drive Sarah, that when those, But you understand, Sarah, that when those... I do understand, Sarah, David. I that do all understand. those tickets would have been criminal, and criminal tickets in Las Vegas up until last year there is had a difference penal between punishments going to jail. Which is why, which was the big shift in the government and making, sh- making sure, but like striking multiple speeding violations from this man's record. We can critique the government and ask for reform and do it in a positive way that is not putting people of color behind bars. And if people don't know, David uh, was until very recently a defense lawyer. No, and I still am. And mm-hmm. the thing is that I just don't accept a but for the system punishing somebody more. This would never have happened. That is a logical fallacy, period. I mean, yeah, if we're talking about systemic roots of this problem, I think you're right. You cannot look at that road and say, like, why are you allowed to even not not allowed, like from a legal standpoint, from a physical standpoint to go yes. that fast. And there are so many roads in Las Vegas like that. I'm on St. Rose all the time. If no one's on St. Rose, yes. people are going 100. It's crazy. And and it's like every other uh, road is like that. And it's it, we, I think we have to ask it's and maybe if we had public transit, it would or wouldn't be better. But I think like Frankly, if you have light rail, you don't need as many roads like that. You don't need people can just focus on the highways. Frankly, if the highways were more effective based on where they went, you know, there's so many things. The cat's out of the bag and the bag is gone. So we have to deal with what we have. Right. But I think you have to look at the roads as part of the problem. I I also think. Sure, it can be a component of it. But in this instance, saying, well, like it's the roads fault feels very Ridiculous. And I think what the research is saying is that the system was broken. A move was made to hopefully change it. It's not working. The system is still broken. So we need to look at the system again. It is proven that people who consistently speed are involved in fatal accidents. That is a federal statistic. So we need to think about what to do in all of the measures to help people to stop people from speeding nationally. And we need to look at our system here in Clark County to figure out what we need to do with repeat speeding violators locally, because the way we have it set up now ain't working. Lock them up forever. That'll work. 100%. Also not what I'm saying. Uh, well, if, if nothing else, everyone slow down. And please um, don't use cocaine if you're going to drive a car. All right. On, on a much lighter note, let's talk about Vegas celebrating 70 years as the wedding capital of the world. Um, there was a really lovely piece done uh, very much a counterpoint to the famous Joan Didion article about uh, quickie weddings in Las Vegas done in the in the 1960s, very famously, uh, that celebrated the, the longstanding uh, reputation of Las Vegas as a destination uh, in the New York Times uh, for 
weddings of all sort and caliber. Uh, a lot of different fun ones were mentioned. Of course, the ubiquitous Elvis wedding uh, got mentioned uh, repeatedly. They talked to people who had been in the industry for all these years. They traced back the roots of weddings uh, as a tourist draw to Las Vegas that really took hold. Right around the same time, we were looking for money from gambling. We were looking for money from divorcees and also uh, eventually made weddings a lot easier, too. So what do you think is the appeal of a Vegas wedding to so many people? Because we just hit like a phenomenal number recently of the millions of weddings that have occurred here from people just visiting. That's nice. Yeah, I think there is a mystique, a je ne sais quoi, if you will, to a Vegas <laughs> wedding, right? Because it's like when you say, oh, yeah, I did a Vegas wedding. Everyone's like, oh, did you know? And like, because it has <laughs> that has meaning, right? That That is a thing to do a Vegas wedding. You know, I, if I'm always in the arts district, right, I'm walking past like three chapels just to go to the bar. Like it's it's right. like a bit. It's like, oh, there's Elvis over and there. And if you drink too much, you might go into one of those. Be careful. Exactly. Friends. It's a risk. You have to be careful. So <laughs> there's, you Th- there's could- no breast sobriety test at the uh, altar. <laughs> No, there is Wait, not. I actually have a question about that that I think maybe the one of, or two of you can can answer because there is this like Vegas myth that you can just get drunk and get married at three in the morning. But don't you still need to get a marriage license when during regular business hours at the town hall, at the city hall? It, it's a two-part process. You actually have to go down to the uh, county offices, which typically run 24-7. Uh, at least they did before the pandemic. They might be on some limited hours afterwards. So you get that piece of paper, and then you can go to a chapel, and then they sort of bring it over the finish line. Uh, and, and so it is a two-part process. But it is pretty accessible. People can get married in the wee hours of the night in Las okay. Vegas. Okay. By Elvis, yeah. no less, right? So By, by Elvis. Elvis, no less. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually, I have been to a Vegas wedding, not just a wedding in Vegas, but I went to an Elvis wedding. It was a second marriage. Shout out to Christina. Um, And you know what? The the ceremony itself was pretty cheesy and I won't name names, but the Elvis wasn't particularly good. But, you know, it was fun in its cheesiness. But I actually think that what the appeal was is that, you know, after the ceremony and a small reception, we then like went out into the city and we went to Golden Tiki and like had amazing drinks and food. And then we went to like uh, we went to Fremont Street and like went to Evil Pie and saw loud music and we went to some other places that I won't mention on the record. But we definitely the bridal party was out until dawn. And so it was just it was the accessibility of everything that Vegas had to offer that I feel like really made that night super fun and special and like all these strangers bonding with each other and like people celebrate like public joy, people celebrating your joy with you, too. Yeah, Vegas is a party town, right? And I think the same thing that makes it an accessible, uh, we'll say, a bachelor bachelorette destination makes it a great wedding destination too, right? Because, uh, okay, sure, you're getting married at 3 a.m., maybe a little uh, uh, imbibed, but then you can continue imbibing, right? You don't have to stop until 6 a.m., maybe 8 a.m. You don't have to stop. You should. Yeah, the article mentioned there were a lot of elopements um, so for destination as well, I mean, obviously cheaper airfare because there's so many flights that come in and out. Uh, you can find lodgings at your economic level, <laughs> whether, it, you know, it be uh, circus circus to Bellagio, as they say. But, uh, you know, it, 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 I just um, I recently was walking through Neonopolis, uh, which whole nother story. I did not realize there were three wedding chapels there. Now, one of them. Uh, was touting that they um, will do fake weddings to scare your friends and family that you had a fake Vegas wedding, (laughs) which I thought was hilarious. I'm into that. But the best one is the Denny's 
on the first floor, which is 24-7, offers mm. a wedding package where you get two Grand Slam meals, champagne, uh. and hitched uh, I in the Denny's. I wonder what the, the buy-up is if I want uh, moons over my hammy. <laughs> I, I think that they would toss that in. Uh, Taco Bell on the Strip also does that. I mean, we've got goth weddings. There's a sci-fi Doctor Who wedding in town floating around. Uh, you just got to find the TARDIS when it appears. What themed wedding is Vegas missing right now? Let's have fun with that. Well, this week is Formula One week. They have a chapel at the oh paddock. God, of course. Mm-hmm. I think I saw that was in the article. Somebody, not not at F1, obviously, but someone at the NASCAR track got married in their favorite pit and it took nine <laughs> seconds. Very good. If for Formula right? One times, it's pretty slow, but for NASCAR, it's a pretty fast pit stop. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about on one of our previous episodes, like that, uh, you know, we have Elvis impersonators, but how about Celine and Britney impersonators? Like, that is definitely like if I'm going to get married again, I definitely want it to involve a boa constrictor. So I'm absolutely there for a Britney wedding. You also recently suggested a cat's wedding, which I only after we recorded realized that it was like the musical cat's wedding, but um, (laughs) which would be something. But also, I just assumed you meant getting married in a cat cafe, which I I would also 100% do. Um, I mean, I feel I mean, we have a cat cafe in, in Vegas now. I wonder if they're offering weddings. I'm going to let you keep your lead buried that you were previously married, Sarah, because that's a new <laughs> fact that I just heard out of your mouth. <laughs> I will also tell people that when I was a municipal court judge for that short window of time when I was dispensing uh, justice uh, in the municipal court, I performed 21 weddings as the officiant. And uh, I think around half of them are still around. Uh, The other half uh, did not end in the the wedded bliss that I had predicted during my my service, my ceremony, Mm -hmm. strangely enough. But I think a David Figler-themed wedding uh, is the bee's knees. It's it's great. And, you know, I just need to be reelected to judge. And uh, I'm here for y'all. Well, if you want either host um, of CityCast Las Vegas, or I assume maybe Jacob can jump on this as well to officiate your wedding, you know, let us know. Uh, We'll we'll put it on the podcast, (laughs) and I'm certain that you'll be happily ever after, as long as I can come to the reception, too, and and eat. Yeah, bring some of those Thanksgiving pies that are left over. That was a really great, fun episode. Um, You know what? Just because you said it, uh, Sarah, I think there should be a mandatory tier system of Elvis officiants that you know if you're getting a tier one, a tier two, a I tier agree with three. That. Of yeah. course, you're going to pay more money for the better, for the better, for yeah, an actual 100%. Elvis. Yeah, 100%. Oh, but as you should. Time, anyone has seen a good Elvis impersonator? Okay, well, now we're getting off topic here, but yeah, sure. But I mean, like, sometimes you think you could, like, save money. It's like, oh, like, I really want to spring for the tier one, but, like, a tier three will do. So, like. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe you want the cheesier, cheesier one. Um, It's just been suggested that you would make a great Elvis impersonator, Jacob. Yeah, I feel about he's, that. He's got the deep velvety voice. He's got the deep hair. Deep velvety voice is the quote. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. I have to. I'll be like Austin Butler, and then I'll get locked into an Elvis voice for the rest of my life because he did that one movie. All right. Well, hey y'all. It's been fun. It's been feisty and a little frivolous there at the end, which is a perfect way to end another wonderful Friday news roundup. I mean, we're here to talk about everything uh, as deep or as light as it requires. Sarah Lohman, Jacob Solis, thank you so much for joining us on another great Friday News Roundup. Thank you for having me. Thanks, David. 
And that's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Our executive producer is Sonia Cho Swanson. Our producer is Layla Muhammad. Our newsletter editor is Scott Dickensheets. And your hosts are Sarah Lohman, who I love, and me, David Figler. Special thanks to Lizzie Goldsmith and Natalie Rivera for their indispensable help this week. Music is by OG Moose, Epidemic Sound, and All the Kimonos. We record the show on the traditional homelands of the new movie, The Southern Paiute People. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend? Rate the show too, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Till then, y'all stay lucky. If you could have your dream Vegas wedding, what would you want the theme to be? Well, it's funny well, because with F1, it's t- terrible now, right? Because it's been such a pain for everyone. But it's like, if you had asked me a year ago, I'd be like, oh yeah, that if I'm doing like a Vegas uh, wedding, like getting uh, married in an F1 track mm-hmm. seems just just weird enough to be up my alley. I don't know about now, now though. Would you get married funny. in the car? That's well, what I would do. Yes, I would, obviously, because it's only Going. one person can fit in there. So it would mean that the other person has to be outside of the car, which makes it funnier. <laughs> 